I want to get, begin this morning with a letter, a letter that was written to a pastor, not to me, uh, not to anybody on this staff. I actually don't know who this came from, so I'm not picking on anybody. It just captures so much of what I want to think about with you. Written by a, a young mom, um, she writes this, I have much to be thankful for. I am married to a man who loves me and is a good provider. I have wonderful, healthy children and really everything I need and more. We built a home three years ago and have been doing much of the work of finishing it off ourselves a little at a time as we can afford to and as we have time. Great situation. I have a good friend who's been a good friend since we were in first grade together. Here's where it starts to hurt. Her husband makes a fantastic wage. They built a house a year after we did and finished it off at once, hiring everything done, and they did it exactly as they wished because money is no problem to them. When she invites me over, I dread going because she is always getting something new. Her house is decorated as I would like to have mine done, and my walls are bare, my drapes are cheap, and my house sits half-finished. I've worked for many years part-time to help make ends meet, and I've always been conservative with our budget. She has never had to work out of the home and and can spend as much as she wants, has much free time, and they are beginning to travel beyond Moline. And then it closes with this. I want to be able to invite my friend to our home without feeling embarrassed, and I want to be able to go to her home and be happy for her instead of envious. Can you help? It's powerful, isn't it? I mean, she has been bitten by a bug. She has a huge problem, and she knows it. She has been bitten by a virus that can destroy our lives, that can rot us away from the inside out. The virus that she's been bitten by is envy. It's envy that is destroying her joy. It's envy that is robbing her of this relationship. It's envy that is causing all sorts of struggles. That's what envy does. In a lot of ways, envy is like a cancer that eats us away from the inside out. It just, kind of raws, it just kind of gnaws away at us and, and destroys us from the inside out. Proverbs 14, verse 30 talks about this. It says this, A heart at peace, when we are content, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy, envy rots the bones. So we're going to take a look at envy this morning. It's part of our series on fatal attractions, where we're looking at those sins, those things that are fatal, those things that destroy us, that are bad for us, but recognizing how attractive they look how much it can seem like they promise us life, they promise us something better, and they, they promise us justice or something like that, but, but they are so attractive, and yet they are so fatal. We're looking at them specifically as the seven deadly sins, and you can see the list that we've got here. Pride is the root. Last week we did vainglory, which is wanting everybody to look at me. Uh, envy, then anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. And so that's our list, and this morning we're up to envy. I want to ask you again three questions. What is it? How is it deadly? And then how do we fight against it? How can we experience some freedom from this, this, this sin that is so powerful that can just destroy us and rob us of such, so much? One of the things we talked about last week that I think is, is helpful in thinking about these fatal attractions, these deadly sins, is, is that all of these things are rooted in something good, okay? They're, they're, they take a good that God created and they twist it and they bend it and they, and they make it into something not good. And, and, and that's true with envy as well. And so let me try to find out and, and help you locate kind of what good envy distorts or how it messes things up. See, envy is rooted in the fact that God gives each of us different gifts and goods, okay? 
we, we got to recognize, and I think it's really important and it's wonderful, but God creates each of us unique. Even before there was sin in the world, Adam and Eve were different. There were things Adam could do that Eve could not. There were things Eve could do that Adam could not. God did not create cookie-cutter people. God does not create bricks that are all the same. He creates rocks, each of which is unique. And some people have different gifts, and some people have more of this gift and less of that gift and so on. And that's God's intention, okay? God's intention is that we have different gifts. And I think ultimately, even if there hadn't been sin in the world, there would have been different levels of income. Some people would have gotten a place on the lake. Some people would have gotten a place in town. Some people would, you know, and, and, and those things are not bad, okay? God gives us different gifts. God gives us different abilities, and he calls us. He, he calls us to, to enjoy those things and to share those gifts. If you've ever been a part of a team, you maybe know what that's like. If you've ever had a team where it's at work or on, on sports or whatever, but where everybody did their job, and all of a sudden it was like, whoa, this worked because you did this. That was so cool. You came through with this and you came through with that. And, you'd, and everybody, and it comes together. That's why God created us with different gifts. So that I would need you and you would need me. And that together we would become more than either of us, any of us separately. So God created us with these gifts so that we could learn that interdependence, right? So that we could learn to depend on each other. So that we could learn to encourage each other. And, and God calls us to use those gifts, to enjoy those gifts, to share those gifts. And, and ultimately to celebrate the gifts that God has given to others. To just say, isn't that awesome that you can do that? That's, that's what God created. But what happens in envy is this. And, and I'm going to give you four things and then unpack them. But in envy, what happens is we don't celebrate another gift. We become obsessed with somebody else's gift or good. We become obsessed with that thing, and, and we really, really need it. And then, and then we start to hate. We begin to hate our own gifts and goods. This is no good what I have. This is not, my walls are bare, drapes are cheap, right? And then, and then the next step of, of envy, and we'll, again, unpack each of these, is but, but we begin to fear. So much of sin is rooted in fear. We fear that others are more valuable than we are. We fear that because we don't have this gift, we are not significant or valued and then ultimately, at its worst, envy causes us to want to destroy the gifts and goods in others. Let's, let's unpack those, okay? Let's start with that first one. We become obsessed with a gift of another, okay? It, it, it's not just recognizing somebody else has another, a gift. It's not just acknowledging that. It's, it's becoming obsessed with it. It's, it's all you can see is that. Again, this mom, th- this mom, she, you know, she, she sees this house, and all she can see is this house that she doesn't have. And I've got to believe when she goes to home, the goods store, Everything she sees is, well, Susie would buy that. She would write in everything. It just begins to dominate, and, and she becomes obsessed with those things. And, and, and I really, it's not that I would like that. It's I need that, and I really, really need that. And how can anybody be happy without that? A couple of things I think we need to understand at this point about envy and about that noticing others' gifts and becoming obsessed with them. First of all, and I've hinted at this, it's, it's not just about things or possessions, for some of us, that's where it hits us. For some of us, the house illustration is it. We, are, we can name the house that we are envious of. We can name the family that we are envious of. For some of us, it might be a fishing boat. For some of us, it might be a gun. It might be a hunting cabin. It might be a place on a lake. It might be whatever. But for some of us, it might be a possession of some sort. But it can be something else. You can be envious of somebody else's skill. I had somebody after the service last week thinking about this and talking about this with me. And, and he said, you know, he was, uh, knew a woman who lived in a condo kind of complex thing, and, and they had kind of a courtyard in the middle, and she was the flower lady. And she was the one who did the best flowers. But then somebody else moved in, and she had better ones. 
He said it nearly killed her. It nearly killed her to have her flowers be the second best in the courtyard. And, 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 you know, so she was, just became so deeply envious of, of this other person and her ability to grow flowers. You can be envious of somebody else's relationship. You know, there might be a couple that, that God is just blessed with a gift of, of really getting their marriage right. And you look at it and you say, why isn't my marriage like that? Why is it my marriage like that? You, you can, it, there, you, it's so important to understand where are you most vulnerable to envy? If you're going to get anything out of this sermon, you've got to figure that out and nail that down because the only way we get set free is if we figure that out. Let me give you, for me, an, an example. Uh, on occasion, um, some of you go on vacation, which is really good, and some of you go to church on vacation, which is really, really good, and, and you come back and you'll say to me, and, and, and this is good, don't stop saying this, but you'll say to me, oh, Ron, man, we went to this church and it was so awesome. And I'll say, that's great. And I'll mean it. I really will. I, I'm, I'm glad when you find a church like that that you go to and you enjoy it that much. And, and you can say, the buildings were amazing. They had a, the grounds, they had a river going through it, and they had this just all thing. Everything was new, and everything was wonderful. And I'll say, that's great. And I'll mean it. I really will. I, I don't have a lot of envy over other buildings, okay? And you can tell me, and you can say, there were 10,000 people in the service. And I will say, that's great. And I will mean it. Because I'm not that worried about those kind of numbers. But when you say, I heard the best sermon I ever heard. I will say, that's great, but I will not mean it. Because what I will do is be going, oh, you're killing me, Smalls. Oh, dagger in my heart. See, it's not the building. It's not. The, what is it for you? What is it for you? Somebody who's better at business? Somebody who, what is it for you that you say, that's the one that can, often it's a place where we feel like we're somewhat competent. You know? Now, I know I'm not, the, I, I know logically I'm not the best preacher in the world. I'm not the best preacher in Grand Rapids. I'm not the best preacher in Colorville. I know that. But man, it just, and, and, and so where are you? Where does it hit you? What is it that causes you to, to, to struggle with this? Where is it going to bite you? You need to know that. And, and then the other thing I want to say here is it's not only a problem for the have-nots. Uh, you know, I think this young mom, if we think about her, this young mom, you know, she would say, well, look, if I had, my husband had that level of income, if we had that kind of a house, if we had that, then, then I wouldn't be envious anymore. That's all I need. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way because there's always somebody who has a little more. There's always somebody who's a little better. The movie Amadeus uh, about Mozart, uh, the great composer. Uh, the other main character is Salieri, and, and, and Salieri is brilliant, okay? He's one in a million. He just happened to be born in a time of Mozart who was one in a gazillion. And it kills him. He was the second best composer in the world. And it kills him because he wasn't the best. And, and so we can be here, but there's always somebody who's a little bit better. And envy can strike any of us. All right, so we become obsessed with a gift or good. And then we begin to hate our own gifts and goods, right? You know, that my walls are bare, my drapes are cheap. This woman's living in a house that's a couple years old, and yet all she can see is that her walls are bare and her drapes are cheap. All I can see is that my preaching gift isn't as good as that person. And what do I say? Well, then I want to quit. Actually, what I say in my head is, go, well, if you love that preacher so much, why don't you go marry him? But I don't say that out loud. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's how small I get sometimes. I'm praying a lot, a lot about this. But, but, you know, I mean, we start to say, well, if I can't be the best, then I'm going to just quit. Chariots of Fire, another movie. It's about Eric Liddell, a great sprinter. The other main character in the movie, one of the other main characters, Harold Abrams, who was another, a world-class sprinter. And he loses the race, and he says, 
I'm going to quit, all right? He says, if I can't win, I won't run. Buddy, you're one of the top three, four in the world. I don't care if I'm not number one. I got nothing. And we begin to, and all you can see is how little you have. And, and, and you might have great gifts from God, but all you can see is what you don't have. And, and again, you can just see how this robs our joy, all right? So we begin to hate our own gifts and goods. And then this, and this is something that Canondike, uh, Rebecca Canondike Young in her book, Glittering Vices, talks about. We begin to fear. See, we begin to fear that we are less valuable than others. What happens is this. Okay, I'm here, you're here, and you've got this gift, and I notice your gift is better than my gift here. That's okay, but now I become obsessed with it. Now I hate my gift. And, and the third step, what happens is I say, you know, it's not just about my gift, it's you. You're a better person than I am. I'm nobody. If I can't win, I won't run because I'm nobody. If I'm not, you know, if you're not first, you're last, right? Ricky Bobby. I mean, if you're not first, you're last. And, you know, and, and, and so we start saying, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm worthless. I'm terrible. One of the ways I think it often comes out, this isn't always in a case of envy, but one of the places it comes out is, is if you find yourself saying he or she thinks she's so much better than everybody else. You know what I often mean when I say that? I think she's better than me. I think he's better than me, and that's what scares me. This person might not be arrogant at all, but when I say, oh yeah, he's so full of himself, so arrogant. She thinks she's so great because she's got the house, and she's got the husband, and they got the traveling, and they got the dog, and they got the kids, and all this stuff, and she thinks she's so great. No, you just think she's better than you are. You feel like you can't be anybody if you don't have that gift. You feel like you can't be anybody. And so much of sin is rooted in fear. That's why 1 John says, perfect love casts out fear. And, and we're going to talk about that. But, but so much of the time, my sin is rooted in fear. Fear that I'm nobody. And I, and I have to do that. So then that leads to the fourth thing, that we fear we are less valuable than others. And then we want to destroy the gifts and goods of others. Okay? So now I'm here, and you're here, and I'm nobody. And I can't climb up to you, so I'm going to drag you down to me. I'm going to try to destroy you. And, 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 and so again, I don't think this woman in this opening illustration was there yet, but you give her a couple, three, four years, and then you find out that this other family, he gets caught embezzling, there might be a little part of her that says, yes, right. I knew they didn't have it all together. I wanted everybody to know they aren't so great, and we try to bring others down. And, and, and we get to a place, and some of you know what this is like. We get to a place where we say, I don't care if I have it. I just don't want you to have it. Scott Jose once said, and, and this is, I think, so good. He said, in greed, I want my neighbor's boat. In envy, I just want my neighbor's boat to sink. Right? I mean, you, right? you ever get that where you say, I don't care. I, I don't care if my flowers are better. I just want her flowers to die. I, I just want her flowers to die. I just want, you know, and, and, and we want to destroy. Honestly, if you tell me that you heard the greatest sermon you ever heard and it wasn't here, um, I'm thankful for that and good. But I'm trying my best never to say, and who was it? Because I know me. And I will be busy next week Googling that person and trying to find out, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you about this. Preachers, we get way too quick to rejoice when one of us fails because then they're down here too. You see what envy does, how it gets us to that point? We want our neighbor's boat to sink. I hope she gets put in her place. We see a great example of this in 1 Kings 3. Uh, this is when Solomon has become king and he's got all this wisdom and, and two moms come and there's only one baby because one of the babies has died. Some of you know the story. And, and they're both saying, this is my baby. No, it's my baby. It's my baby. And Solomon says, cut the baby in half 
and, and look at the difference in reaction. In 1 Kings 3, 26, the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love. Love and envy are opposites. Out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. I want my baby to live, so give, get, go ahead. Even though it's my baby, she can have him. The other one said, neither I nor you shall have him cut him in two. That's envy, right? That's that full-blown thing of saying, I hope, I, I, if I can't be happy, you can't be happy. I am going to just bring you down. I am going to make you pay. I am going to destroy you. And there is something inside of us that wants to do that. There is something inside of us that when envy gets full-blown, it brings us to this place, and it is so deadly. All right, let's talk about that. H- how is it so deadly? Again, fairly quickly here, because we've been touching on this. I think you probably get it by now. It robs us of joy, right? It rots the bones. It, 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 it keeps us, all we can see is what we don't have. I don't enjoy the gift God has given to me. I don't enjoy the gift God has given to you. But I, I just get so caught up in the fact that I don't have that gift. And I'm nobody without that gift. And I have no joy. God created us to celebrate those different gifts. God created us to celebrate those differences and, and to enjoy those things and to be a community that, that works together. And instead, I am just robbed of all of my joy. It robs us of community. Uh, again, we see that throughout. Uh, this one woman is willing, maybe they were friends, but willing to have the other baby, woman's baby killed. It, it just, I, I want to, again, those lines from that, that opening letter, I want to be able to invite my friend over without being embarrassed, and I want to go over there without, without being envious. But I can't do it. Some of you can name friendships you've lost because of envy. Because envy turns us into competitors. It turns us into saying, you're better than me. Not just you have this gift, and that's cool that God gave you that gift, but it turns us to enemies and it, and it makes us want to destroy each other. Again, Salieri ends up really killing Mozart. I mean, driving, it, it, because he couldn't stand it. And so it destroys community. And, and then ultimately, spiritually, it pits us against God. It pits us against God. You say, no, I'm just worried. No, because what we're really saying, those of us who believe that God is in control, what we're really saying is, God, you messed up. That's where, that's where Salieri went. He went, God, why would you give Mozart in this case? But why would you give such a great gift to her? This isn't fair. And what we're saying ultimately is, God, you blew it. When you made that person a better preacher than me, you blew it because you should have given that gift to me. When you made that person a better mom than me, you blew it because you should have given that gift to me. When you made that person and gave that person that house, you blew it, God, because you should have given that to me. And, and again, what's fascinating is sometimes it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, again, Mozart, watch the movie. But Mozart, he was vulgar, obscene, childish. And to think that God gave a one in a gazillion gift to him, you say, God, what were you thinking? And there's a part of it that I can understand that question. Right? Some of you look at who God gave gifts to and you say, God, hello, what were you thinking? Why didn't you give it to somebody like me who would just use it to serve you wonderfully? Joseph Epstein, talking about envy, he says this, he says, of all the deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. (laughs) Envy is only destructive. Envy is only negative. Again, vainglory, when you applaud, I like it. Gluttony, well, there the pleasures are obvious, right? But anger, even planning revenge tastes good, right? That sweetness of revenge. That envy is just destructive. It is just destroying of us and others. It is no fun at all. So how do we fight against it? How, how, how can we overcome it? 
This is one that I, that I think, again, with all of them we can start here, but this one in particular, to confess it, to own it. That's why I wanted to challenge you so clearly to say, where is it for you? Because I think naming it takes away some of the, takes away some of the power of it. This is a place where confession and owning it, saying, God, I am struggling with this, and I need you to forgive me, and I need you to strengthen me. First John 1 verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need God's help on this one. And, and I think again, if I can name it. And you don't have to name it in front of everybody. But if I can name it, I can start to sound, just realize how silly it often sounds. To, to just own it. I got to go back to the flower lady, all right? Because this is great, the way this story ends. This, these flowers across, they're wonderful. They're amazing. All summer, she's working hard. She can never get it. flowers as good. It starts to get cold. It snows. It's 10 degrees. And this woman's flowers still look perfect. They were fake. <laughs> they were fake. <laughs> I love it. But this woman had the courage and the strength to, to own it and to actually go to that person she hadn't met her before and said, friend, I need to talk to you. I have been just envious all summer. And can we just, you know, get to know each other? I mean, when we, that's, we, we just do that to say, seriously, I, I, I really want that person. You know, th- does, does Salieri really want to say, we don't want the music in the world that Mozart created, that God gave him the gift to create, but we want it. And so own it confess it and when we name it we, we even that just giving it to god it starts to let us experience that freedom all right so we confess it the second thing and and this is one we talked about last week but it is essential here and it talks about that fear thing right we get so afraid but if we find our identity in god's view of us uh, again our culture says to us that that we are what we have or we are what we do again harold abrams right he's a guy if i can't win i won't run who am I? I am my success as a preacher. I am my success as a father. I am this. I am my gift. And we tie that together. And, and what God invites us to do is to say, no, Ron, you're not first a preacher. You're first my child. Ron, you're not first of all a dad. You're first my child. For those, you know, and, and for those of you who had kids baptized, you know, teach them who they are in Christ. It's going to be so tempting to teach them all who you are as a, a runner or a football player or a violinist or whatever it is. No, teach them who they are in Christ. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have summoned you. I've redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mind that's who you are and if that's who i am then i don't have to really worry about this silly thing about whether somebody's a better preacher than me if that's who i am then i don't have to worry about whether somebody's got a bigger house than me if that's who i am if i am if i am known by god i have been redeemed by him he sent his son jesus christ to die on the cross for me psalm 139 113 and 14 you have searched me lord you know me for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb i praise you because i am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful i know that full well i am wonderfully made and i'm not saying oh, we got to go be here but just to say god i am who i am and it, and it just changes everything again harold abrams if i can't win i won't run he is a runner who is a winner or a loser. The other main character, the main character of that movie is Eric Liddell, a guy by the name of Eric Liddell. And somebody asks him, why do you run? Why do you run? And he says this, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Notice that, not when I win, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, 
I feel God's pleasure. And, and think about what this makes him. He is not a, a runner who is a winner or a loser. He is a child of God, gifted and loved by God, who runs and sometimes wins. Do you see how that changes everything? Do you see how that changes it if I see who I am? Now, I'm a child of God who, who, who gifted and loved by God, who preaches and occasionally gets it right, who occasionally does okay. And when I don't, it's not the end of the world because I am a child of God, gifted and loved by him. Do you see how that changes everything? Find our identity in God's view of us. Third thing, and, and we just, two more. These will go fairly quickly. But th- this is one that I've been trying a lot with myself, just trusting that God knows what he's doing. Now, on the one hand, you say, well, that's really good, Ron, that you trust God. But, but when I get to those places where I say, God, why is this going? I mean, more and more, I'm just saying, God, I trust that you see things I don't see. I don't understand why this is happening, but I'm going to just trust that there are parts of the puzzle I can't see. There are pieces of the puzzle that I can't put together. And so, God, I'm going to just trust that you know what you're doing. And on the one hand, it sounds silly, but on the other hand, it does change things. Say, okay, God, I know this. I know that you're loving. I know that you're fair, and I know that you're good. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So trust that God knows what he's doing, and then thank God when others succeed. Thank God when others succeed. That's not easy, but you can learn to do it. Celebrate the gift that God has given to them. And thank God for that gift. And again, especially with those you're struggling with, send flowers to that person whose house you really love. And just say, wow, it is so cool the way you have this gift of doing this. S- send, you know, a congratulations to a competitor or whoever it is. But, but just thank God for that success. Because and the only way I can do this, if I know who I am in Christ, if, if, I, if my identity is in Christ, if that's my identity, then I can start to celebrate and enjoy your gifts and we can get back to what God wanted. And, and, and so again, I, this, this is so, those of you who, who know envy know how powerful and damaging and destructive it is. And so once again this morning, I just invite you to, to know that in Christ, in Christ we can be set free. Let's pray together. Father, we look around us and everything isn't equal. Sometimes it really starts to get us. Father, you created us with different gifts and abilities and skills and goods and colors and all sorts of things so that we could learn community. So teach us community, Father. Teach us to love. Teach us that we are free in Christ to love and to serve and to give and to to become all that you have created us to become. So set us free. Set us free from envy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing? Um, two things before we go. Again, if, if, if you want to pray with somebody after the service, the prayer will be o- room will be open, um, and you are welcome to go there. And also, if you run into Jerry Newick on the way out, he's 55 years old today, so say happy birthday to Jerry. People of God, now as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us, and may we know who we are in Christ so that we can be set free from envy. Go in God's grace. Amen.